like D&D fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable. I'm attacking the darkness! (laughs) (laughs) Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk! Yeah, you are! Are there any girls there? Yeah! Anyone can play. I don't really know the rules. <laughs> Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination. Oh, okay. This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'll help you. I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes. Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Hello. And welcome to the third episode of DC Roleplaying, the Hero Points Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me is my co-host with the motivation of responsibility of power, it's Siskoid, from Siskoid's blog of geekery and the Lonely Hearts Podcast. Hi, How Shag. You doing, buddy? How you doing, buddy? I'm good. You know, I feel like uh, it was just yesterday when we did the last episode, you know? I, mean, <laughs> I feel like we're right back in the groove, pal. That's not what I hear. <laughs> All right. I think we're more of a um, you know national convention uh, kind of podcast. We we get together once a year and we have a lot of fun and then it's uh, you know there you go. It's like uh, it's like check dice. out at the hotel and we're back home. It's like board game geek, you know their big annual convention or Dice Tower and Hero Points podcast. That's what it's like once a year. Yeah. Um, if all goes well, you will hear us more than once a year. However, for now, we will promise you at a minimum you'll get one show a year, folks. Be happy with what you get. Or as, as I tell my kids, you get what you get. Don't pitch a fit. <laughs> Rhymes. That's right. If this is your first episode of the Hero Points podcast, and there's not a lot of back episodes to listen to. Just to give you a little background on the show, our goal is to celebrate the DC role playing games. Cisco and I have a long history in role-playing, and the DC games are one of our absolute biggest passions. Sort of the mission statement of the show, if you will, is nostalgia. This is not a technical podcast. If you want a technical podcast where they break down the rules and they take out the slide rules and pocket protectors and everything and figure out how many dice it takes for this, there are game uh, role-playing podcasts out there. Please seek them out. They're awesome. We are not game mechanic podcasts. This is is about old people talking about old things. (laughs) That is exactly right. And to be to be specific, we are refocusing the show a little bit. Given the show's current frequency of publication and the feedback we've gotten from the listeners, we're gonna for now at least, we're gonna make this strictly Mayfair. The Mayfair DC Heroes role playing game. That's what we're gonna focus on. Up until the point where we decide to do something else. But for now, we're gonna stick with Mayfair. That's where our love of the game started, so that's what we'll be covering. Yeah, and many of the, the fans of the show, you know, that's the game that drew them to the podcast in the first place as well so for yeah. them and if we ever decide to do something else let me tell you I, I, I have just as many or I have like, I think every published West End Games book as well so I'm game to talk about it someday but for now Mayfair is where it's at bro um, so far we've done the core rules we've done a source book and now it's time for adventure modules <laughs> And we're going to do sort of a focus primarily on good introductory modules. Modules that were great for your first time role-playing with the the system or the first time you want to try a module. Uh, Cisco and I have each selected one to talk about, and I I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, but before we get started, folks, if you want to be talking about the show on social media, if you want to be talking about the game on social media, please use our hashtag, which is poundfwpodcast. 
that will allow us to find what you're saying. It'll allow your fellow listeners to find what you're saying. And you guys can have an argument about why Superman should have strength of 25 or strength of 50. Frankly, I don't care. Have that argument if it makes you sleep better at night. You can also find some images from these two modules we're going to cover on our Tumblr, which is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. You can also drop us some messages via email, and that email is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Or go out and check out our blogs where you'll also be able to leave some information uh, or comments, firestormfan.com or Cisco's blog of geekery. Now, I know we, this has nothing to do with Mayfair, but I just want to point out, Cisco, a lot has changed in the world since we recorded our last episode. <laughs> um, when we started this show, it was, I believe, your first time ever podcasting. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I think so. And, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And now you're a podcasting superstar. Well, I'm not sure about the uh, superstardom of it, but I did start my own podcast uh, with friends. It's um, the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, which explores a, a niche that isn't very much explored on, online, old romance comics, oh, new romance comics as well. Uh, so it's like guys talking about girly comics, <laughs> really. And then we do the little plays with different people. I, I'm try My ultimate goal is to have these little theater pieces in each show, and each theater piece will feature voices from uh, eventually everyone I love in my life ever. That's fantastic. I'm yeah. still waiting for my invitation. <clears throat> also, since we uh, you have another podcast as well, I have a French language podcast which you're not interested in, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I'm slowly building so, uh, something about tentatively called First Strike, the Invasion podcast, which is about the uh, Invasion crossover from uh, 1988, from DC Comics 1988. And so me and Bas, who are a, um, uh, who's another lonely heart, we're getting together on that to talk about the whole crossover. There's only three issues in the miniseries, but there's like 40 comics in all <laughs> that take part in the Invasion when the that damn Dominion came calling. <laughs> Remember Melbourne. That's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to do that and see um, how far we can go with it. That's awesome. I, I can't wait for that. By the way, folks, uh, just my own endorsement, the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast is a blast. At first, when uh, Siskoid started, I heard about it. I'm like, I'll give it a listen. You know, I'll be supportive. Siskoid's a buddy of mine, but Romance Comics? Really? And it's a hoot. The guys do a great job just, at it. You know, we're just like you. We went from Romance Comics. <laughs> can we actually talk about this? Uh, so we're, we're not experts. We're just, you know, reacting to very dated yeah. uh, you know gender politics you gotta, you um, have a segment about just you know with a soundbite about sexism I mean it's just it's it's wild uh, it's a hoot though the show's a lot of fun I can't wait for the invasion show uh, since we're pimping stuff I'll just mention I've actually got a show in the works as well too that ties in with invasion Justice League International Bwahaha podcast that's going to be coming in the first quarter of 2016 from the Fire and Water podcast I am, I've finally decided after waiting long enough for someone to do a Justice League International podcast I'm going to do it myself so every episode will have a, a rotating guest host with me. We'll talk about, it's going to be an index show. We're going to start at the beginning of JLI and go all the way to the end of the Giffen Damatis run. I can't wait. I'm so excited about it. I've been rereading them just now, uh, just in the last couple of weeks. So much fun. Looking forward to it. And I'm still waiting for my inv my invitation. <laughs> and we will talk <laughs> off air and we will make that happen, sir. <laughs> and you know, we could tie that into a hero, future hero points with Justice League. Yeah. And We've got a number of adventures and a very nice source book. You know, the Legion of Super Bloggers, which is another thing both Cisco and I are members of. I don't even know if that existed last time we did hero points. 
Uh, I don't know. So either way, yeah, we've done a year. Okay, we've done a year of blogging this summer. There's yeah. a legion of super bloggers out there, folks, and uh, you should check that out. It's a great daily blog about the legion, and you know maybe we'll tie hero points into that someday. Enough about all speculation. Let's get let's get to the last bit of uh, house. What do you call that? Housekeeping business. We do need to take a second to thank our sponsor, folks. This episode of the Hero Points podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty two percent with off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? Since I'm going to be talking about a um, Superman versus Brainiac adventure module, uh, my choice is Superman versus Brainiac, the trade paperback. <laughs> Superman's greatest battles against Brainiac, they're collected in this volume. It features stories from uh, well, uh, all eras of the character, from his first appearance in the Silver Age, uh, through to uh, some very much more recent uh, material. So across all versions of the character, it normally goes for $19.99. It's available from in-stock trades for $10.99, 45% off the cover price. Many artists and writers, I, I, I won't list them all. Uh, it's worth it. It's got a great cover. It's got an absolutely great cover. Yeah. I, I, I saw that. Now, I've, I've read a lot of those stories. I was just like, you know, it's almost worth getting it just for that cover. It's so good. <laughs> um, so for the, the module I'm going to be covering touches on so much Greek mythology, I decided to pick a, a Wonder Woman book by George Perez, specifically Wonder Woman by George Perez, omnibus hardcover. Isn't that clever? So this collects a lot of the early issues of Wonder Woman from post-crisis, where Perez was really, really heavily into the Greek mythology, specifically issues 1 through 24 and annual number 1. So, you know, the credits are very easy. Writer, artist, cover artist, all George Perez, 640 pages, uh, all full color, normally goes for $75. Okay, so huge price. I get it. But you save 45% on in-stock trades right now, and you would get it for $41.25. I know, $41 is still a bit of a, sh a sticker shock, but 640 pages of a hardcover, and it's all George Perez. I really shouldn't have to do a hard sell on this, folks. So go out to InStock Trades and pick that up. Again, InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions. All right. Let's talk about some DC Heroes role-playing, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this time we're doing uh, adventure modules. And if you're new to role-playing, and I mean, adventure modules are kind of a thing of the past. I mean, some people still make them, but you see f far fewer adventures being put on the market than uh, before in any game. Uh, people like to buy uh, splat books, you know, source books full of crunchy stuff they can put in their games, but they don't like so much to buy prefabricated adventures, but I find them very useful. So uh, DC Heroes usually, uh, they're, they've got different formats sometimes, but they're usually an oversized 32-page uh, booklet uh, with a color cover and a black and white interior. Uh, at the top, it will always tell you what the power level should be, what kind of characters you should be using this adventure for. Obviously, Justice League is like cosmic level stuff, and then the usual street stuff, the more superhero ordinary stuff is like Teen Titans level kind of thing. They, uh, so, they pushed the Teen Titans hard back then, oh, as we talked yeah. about before because of their popularity. Exactly. So it'll tell you that, and uh, sometimes you will see the, the names of the characters it was designed for, uh, but in our case today, we'll see it. there's a little tweak to that. Um, <laughs> inside the book, the adventure will normally be prefaced by background notes, and then you'll get uh, stats for all the characters that are featured, and sometimes characters that you might get to play, but usually the villains. There's a synopsis of the adventure, so you can get it all in your head before you go into the, um, uh, the rest of the book. And then the adventure goes into encounters, separating each different part of the adventure as an encounter that's discussed. Um, there's like troubleshooting notes because characters very often will not do what you expect them to do. <laughs> 
hadn't noticed as a game it's, master. Yeah, especially with superheroes because there's such a variety of powers and things you, you might do to screw up an adventure. Never allow a player to have super speed. I'm just warning you now. Nothing good will come of that as a game master. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the tough ones to, to game master, yeah. And then you also have important maps, diagrams, that kind of thing. Uh, and then at the end, uh, there's a section that tells you how you know how to score the uh, experience points or the hero points. Really, that's what they're called in the game. Which is <laughs> you, you think? That's that's it's kind of the name of the show too, buddy. Kind of right. So they're not so much. You know, you might see in, in adventure modules uh, for Dungeons and Dragons, which would be the you know the standard for many gamers. We often have dungeon crawls where you just go into a place and then each room is mapped out and has encounters and treasure in it and whatever. For superhero gaming, that's not really what characters do. So a lot of the adventures uh, have investigative pieces, uh, information where you get information for uh, different things, different clues. You might find so the way the the adventure is mapped out you might really you know not do the encounters in order at all follow this lead follow that lead uh, so it's not a linear thing so the way the adventure is structured you know you might be flipping around if you're using the book i don't know about you but a lot of people don't use adventures because you know they like to create their own adventures they don't want to be uh, stuck on somebody else's map Although I find them very useful to learn how to create an adventure, how to, to design an adventure, you can at least use it as a template. Now we're not gonna we're gonna talk about a couple adventures, but we're not gonna really spoil them too much, you know, in case you play them. Speak for yourself. I'll, I'll be controlling the edit, so I'll remove all spoilers. <laughs> Shaq's gonna go Project Prometheus, and that'll be the end. <laughs> well, even if we spoil elements, you know, game masters are free to change the details of the adventure. But even if you're not a fan of using adventures in your game. You can usually find these booklets for you know fairly cheap. I think I got mine for seven bucks back in the day. I think that's the cover price, and I've seen them on Amazon for like ten. And uh, you can find, and honestly, like um, I don't want to call them junk stores or antique stores because neither really qualify. But you know, stores that sell old stuff. Let's just put it that way. I found some of these modules in a, a store in, a, in an antique store not too long ago, and wow. picked and picked up a couple because they were there for like I don't know a dollar a piece or something. I was like, okay, you know, there's still yeah. a few. There's a couple of Mayfair I don't own in hard copy, so I picked up a couple more. Yeah, and I mean, even comic book stores, gaming stores might have them. Even if you're not going to run them, run them as adventures, they work as a form of literature. There's like, you know, it's like reading a comic book story, but the the outcome isn't set in stone. So you might be seeing different courses the characters might take. I mean, it can be enjoyable. I, I, I have many adventures that I've read and not used or not used yet, uh, but that doesn't make them any less you know, entertaining as a sort of art form, if you will. And so Mayfair came out with, a, with dozens of these, really, mostly for first edition. You know, they started working with different formats in second edition, but usually this was the standard. We will review some from time to time, usually w under a theme. So today the theme is introductory adventures, and I think we've chosen them for two reasons, really. First, because we specifically used one of these introductions in our own games with our respective groups. And second, because they aren't specifically identified with a DC hero or hero team on the cover. So they really are made for the introductory game where you're going to play your own heroes. Mm -hmm. So the one you've chosen actually says your own heroes in the corner. Trademarked, by the way. That logo where it says uh, for your own heroes is trademarked and on the inside cover they reference the trademark. Series pending. <laughs> and... <laughs> Move out of the way, Dial H for Hero. Here comes for yeah. 
<laughs> here comes for your own heroes. And mine, uh, actually, instead of having the, the heroes on there, it says Brainiac, which, because he's the villain of the piece. And you've got your own heroes on the cover. We'll get there eventually. But the heroes are just black figures, shadowy figures on the cover. So really, you can put your own heroes in there. Uh, so usually you'd have, if it's, it's a Teen Titans thing, you'd, you'd have the Titans on the cover. you know. Yep. Uh, but in this case, it's just shadowy figures that might be anyone's character. Along that line where you know each module is designed for different aspects, whether they be you know player characters or known superheroes, and, and touching on where you said it's sort of a form of literature, some of these modules are a wonderful time capsule. Like, for you diehard Firestorm fans, there's a module called, um, if I get the name wrong, I'm going to be embarrassed. Off the top of my head, I think it's called An Element of Surprise. Yes. And it's a Firestorm it. module. And if you're a diehard Firestorm fan, this is an, this is an untapped Firestorm adventure you've never read. So as Siskoid said, it's a form of literature. Pick it up, read it, and it's almost like getting a chance to read the Firestorm comic from 1985 you never saw. So it's, you know, there's Booster Gold, there's Justice League, there's Ambush Bug, Doom Patrol, there's tons and tons of these modules out there. There are Watchmen ones. Oh yeah, that's a big uh, deal. So they use, usually very good at doing the, the tone of the comic they're uh, emulating. So when you've got the Bwahaha Justice League, those adventures are funny. Mm-hmm. And they're comedy pieces. Uh, but the Watchmen ones are, you know, will, will have elements that remind you of the Alan Moore style. In our case, it's, I, I think that the two introductory adventures are mostly toneless. There isn't like another, an extra tone for the uh, Game Master to assimilate and reproduce. So they are an introductory for the Game Master as well to learn the game. Yep. Uh, so let's, let's talk about your selection. All right. Uh, I picked Project Prometheus. This is one of my favorite modules solely because it's one of the ones I've done. I haven't done a lot of the modules myself. You talked about different player styles and different Game Master styles. I wasn't one that usually wanted to use the prefabricated modules. And I think it's just a stupid brain block because they are quite useful. Even if you use them and just adapt them to, to your needs, there's a lot of great content in there. And I would buy them and read them. But for some reason, I'd always want to, since we had our own characters, we develop our own stories. So this is one of the ones I, I've actually been through twice. I went through it originally as a player. And then years later, I used it as a, a sort of a crutch as a game master. And, and as a, you know, I touched on a lot of the elements in it. So And I've used it as well. Let's, let's talk about the module itself and then I guess we can share some recollections. So. Right. All right. So, what, you know, um, Cisco described the, pr- the product, the shape, the colors, all that stuff. So I'll just tell you the covers, you know, Project Prometheus, on the cover you've got a lot of various creatures battling. In the foreground you have a giant minotaur battling this other gray, sort of uh, enormous Hulk-like creature and also in the mix there is this gorgeous woman who you're not sure where she's sort of fitting in the picture. You've got what <laughs> appears to be like, almost like a stage magician battling a giant half-spider, half-woman and there's this crazy geodesic globe. There's some weird stuff going on in this cover. It's a big battle. Getting into it, copyright for Project Prometheus is 1985. So this is first edition. Authors are Greg Gordon and Lee Maniloff. Editor right. was Jackie Leeper. Art by... And we don't have an actual artist name. We just have a company called A-Mation Studios. And I have to say, I think they're pretty good for comic book art. I like their stuff. Yeah, I think it looks a lot like it's art... Uh, you know, it reminds me of stuff like GURPS Supers. Okay. Uh, it's the kind of black and white line art you'd see in a lot of role-playing games. It's not quite at the level of like a pro comic book artist, but it does the job and it's dynamic enough. 
Greg Gordon, you know, um, he was one of the main designers of the DC Heroes RPG. He was also one of the main designers on the James Bond 007 RPG, which I've, <laughs> I've played. The Star Wars RPG, which I know you've played. Uh, wow. Earth Dawn, Deadlands. He's a big deal. And it's wow. Lee Manilov's only credit. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, you talk about the artists. If you look at the, ki- the player characters, and we'll get them in a second, but Mongoose, there's like a, a touch of 80s or 90s Paul Pelletier in there to me. Not, yeah. not, not how Paul Pelletier looks nowadays, but the way he used to draw back then. He used to draw a lot of cheesecakey type stuff. And it's like, so this looks like an artist that could have made it to me. Especially the cover. I really like the cover. The cover's, um, you know, it's got a painted uh, coloring scheme. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks nice. It's well done. So as Siskoid was implying, this is for your own heroes, uh, specifically 500 to 1,000 hero points. Normally in these books, when you're reading it, it tells you, you know, they'll say 500 to 1,000 like, and usually they say Teen Titans. They didn't say that in this book. They just indicated that's your point range. And they gave us a a chart, which I thought was really, or not a chart, but a little shout-out box, which I thought was very interesting, which was telling you suggested rules on how to balance the attributes yeah. in the story. So if you if you come in with characters that are more powerful, what you do is you go through this sort of tech, uh, this step-by-step technique that they describe, and it helps you assess how powerful the villains should be, and you can actually amp up or amp down the villains to make them perfectly suited adversaries for your characters. It's a great example of why this is a good introductory adventure, yep. because it, you don't find this in, in the other modules. So this was like one of the first, if not the first. Well, it's uh, product number 208, so that's it's very early. early on. Getting that really teaches you how to run the game. Yeah. You know, those, those kinds of elements. So good introductory adventures will help a first-time game master actually be better. And, and you know, I, I haven't read a Marvel ad- a module in years, but that, that was my first superhero role-playing game. I seem to remember the DC modules were of a higher caliber. Like, the Marvel source books were awesome, but I seem to recall the, the modules were a little better constructed for DC. So that'll that'll start a feeding frenzy amongst the Marvel fans. We'll see how that goes. So one of the <laughs> nice things about this book, as it, it does say for your own characters, but this one actually gives you a set of pre-generated characters if you want. Again, another perfect example of why this could be good for an introductory adventure is rather than spending that first game... This is Most game... I'm, I'm starting six different sentences there, but I promise you I'm getting somewhere, folks. Most role-playing groups die on the first night because the whole first night is building characters. And you never yep. get to play. And yep. so the second night never happens because no one had any fun. They just built characters all night long. This one gives you a chance to say, here's some prefab characters. Just play the damn game. Just enjoy yourself. Don't worry about building characters. You don't have to use these characters, but they give you uh, they give you some. And it, it, they came up with this cute little name, the Justice Crusaders. And apparently it's this loose collection of heroes in three different cities, Chicago, Central City, and Star City. And the, and the four characters they give you are Dr. John Michael Faustus. He's sort of this aristocratic, he looks like a stage performer, and he's got these amazing hypnotic powers. Yeah, he's, he's like Zatara. Yeah, it looks a little bit like that, yeah, except yeah. without the magic. Uh, you've got Slab, who's basically your tank. He's your big, you know, your big bruiser. You have Mongoose the Magnificent, who's, she's, she's very glory-seeking, and she's a speedster, and she, she's smoking hot, so gotta give her that credit. And then you get Morningstar, who has light powers, and when you read his description, he's really pretty much a pain in the butt goody two-shoes. It makes me think of uh, Star Fox from the Avengers. Oh, well, um, without the love power. With the look. Yeah, you know, okay, yeah. I can see that. Looks a little bit like Quasar, too, to be honest. Oh, yeah, true. Those are the four characters you could play if you want, and that's the way this module is designed, that's the way the artwork carries you through. I don't remember them doing this in a lot of subsequent adventures for, for ones that were for your own characters, but it's a nice little nod, and, you know, it kind of helps you jump in, like I said, without ever having to build a character. 
characters. So I'm going to run through kind of the story at a, at a high level, as my friend Rob loves me to say at a 10,000-foot level, though I'm going to get into some details, so it's not really at a 10,000-foot level at all, I suppose. But I'm going to give you just kind of the gist of the story, where some of the story choices could uh, or player choices could take you, and then the rest of it's up to you if you ever want to run the adventure. These characters take place in, or live in Central City, at least these Justice Crusaders. If you were playing your own characters, they could take place in whatever city you wanted. The mayor of the town invites the team, the heroes, to a football game. Presumably it's an NFL game. And in this example, uh, this is a shout-out for you, Keith G. Baker at home. Keith G. Baker's our, our resident role-playing game, or he, he's an aficionado of fictional sports teams in the DC Universe. Uh, I'll talk about him in the feedback, too, but he loves the fictional sports teams. So there's a football game between the Central City Blackjacks and the Gotham City Goliaths. So the heroes, uh, as the players would be, you'd be there in the, you know, watching the game. The GM would describe it to you. And then during the fourth quarter, the lights suddenly go off in the stadium, and this enormous, enormous white eagle, and I don't mean just, I mean like, larger than, you know, a helicopter size White Eagle swoops in and grabs somebody out of the audience of the, of, the, of the stands from the football game. And the Eagle soars away with the guy and flies six miles away towards a waiting airship. Now, that's the hook that grabs the characters right out of the gate. That's the beginning of the adventure. You're thinking it's going to be football related and all of a sudden this kidnapping happens. You're like, whoa. And the characters can get involved in a couple different ways. They can go after and try and rescue the man, or they can investigate the blackout that happened at the stadium, or they can split up and do both. There's various encounters to be had in each scenario. There's a nice chase with the bird, there's even a kind of a cool table to help you track how to chase and speed and everything, which I thought was pretty clever the way they wrote it. That's not in the rules normally. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not the core rules. I don't yeah. think so. It's not in the core rules. But here's where Greg Gordon's link to the James Bond 007 game comes mm. in. Because that's got chase rules that look a lot like this. Ah. So it's like plugged in his other mechanic in there. Interesting. I wonder if, I wonder if it ever made it into like a second or third edition. I, I don't recall it, but it's been so many years so. since I've read that bo- those books cover yeah. to cover. So you can have the chase, uh, chasing the eagle, or getting into uh, a, a dogfight with the airship that the eagle's flying to. Meanwhile, back at the stadium, there's a bunch of Grecian costume warriors ready to battle. So there's two different encounters there for your players to get involved in. After all that's over, you go home to your HQ, and it turns out there's been a break-in. They're meeting you at the HQ is the is a U.S. intelligence guy, Major Sam McMurphy, and he's, you know, he's your typical military guy. He wants the heroes to investigate the kidnapping of the guy from the football game. Turns out, the guy who got kidnapped, his name is Dr. Daedalus, and he was working on a top-secret project uh, defense program for Star Labs. Well, at the same time he was working on this defense project, he was also, Daedalus was also corresponding with a guy in the Mediterranean, a Mediterranean leader who was uh, in Crete, the, the island of Crete, and this guy was actually interested in returning ancient Crete to its former glory. And he calls himself King Minos. And if you know anything about your Greek mythology, you're hearing King Minos and Daedalus, you might have an idea where this could be going. So the military has decided to assemble a strike team to recover Daedalus from Crete. But they're, they're asking the heroes, these heroes, to go in and perform a reconnaissance mission first and hopefully extract Daedalus to prevent the law, you know, to prevent this, this attack from even having to happen. So while they're having this discussion with the Major, at the same time, the heroes receive a, via courier an invitation from King Minos himself. The heroes have actually been invited to a dinner being held in honor of Dr. Daedalus. And the invitation actually says that Dr. Daedalus is a guest of King Minos. So, and he goes on to say that the Isle of Crete needs heroes and they'd like the Justice Crusaders to come visit Crete. And actually they refer to the heroes as the uh, the heroes of Centralopolis, which I thought was pretty funny. Rather than Central City, the people in Crete call it Centralopolis. And I love that little invitation. That yeah, you, it's yeah. adorable. And you could photocopy and hand it out to your players. I mean, you could, there's a lot of, you know, tangible things you could make out of this. So, 
this presents the characters with a choice, and that's the beauty of a role-playing game. They can make two different decisions. They can travel to Crete via the U.S. intelligence uh, stealthy route, you know, and sneak in, or they can accept accept the transportation from King Minos. And there's actually different encounters and different things happen in the game depending on which option you choose. Whichever one you choose, you are going to eventually end up in Crete. And I guess, suppose, as characters, you can decide not to go to Crete altogether, and then the Game Master's going to have to scramble to come up with something else to do that night and just hate their players because they're a bunch of jerks. But let's assume you go to Crete. Uh, You're going to meet several NPCs while you're there. You're going to meet King Minos. You're going to meet his daughter, Ariadne. Again, all this should sound familiar if you know your mythology. You're going to meet uh, Arachnia, is how I say it. That's probably not phonetically correct, but I'm famous for mispronouncing words anyway. She is this amalgamum creature. She has an enormous spider body for the, her bottom half with four legs. And then her upper torso is of like a kind of a hideous woman with four arms. She's got fangs and gray limbs. Very, very hideous. Another one of the characters is this minotaur, and he is enormous. And he's got the head of a bull, and the body of a human, and the, and the face... It's anthropomorphized a bit. I mean, it doesn't just look like a bullhead. It's, it's stylized. It looks pretty awesome, actually. It's one of my favorite representations of what a minotaur should look like. Then, of course, the white eagle, we've already met, who was working for uh, King Minos. And then another character named Talos, who's this large bronze Grecian uh, centurion, who you find out eventually he's a robot. So, while they're on the island, our heroes quickly discover that Dr. Daedalus... The whole kidnapping thing was a hoax. It was all a setup. Daedalus actually wanted to come to Crete. He's, he wanted to work on this thing called the Prometheus Shield. And King Minos couldn't get Daedalus out of the Star Labs contract. Daedalus was locked into the Star Labs contract. So they faked this whole kidnapping. So Daedalus is now on Crete, working with the Prometheus Shield. He's very excited about it. And this technology is going to help push Crete into a, a new golden age of prosperity. You get a lot of various scenarios here that can lead the story in a lot of different directions. And I'm not going to go into all of them, but um, eventually you do end up in some confrontation with Minus's, you know, his, his monstery minion characters I described. There's other scenarios that will actually lead you to fancy banquets. By the end of the adventure, the heroes are going to end up in the labyrinth. There's going to be traitors in King Minus's court that are going to be revealed. Some NPCs might be murdered, depending on the actions of the players. And the heroes are going to face a big final confrontation. And of that confrontation, the, the aftermath section actually describes three potential outcomes for the adventure. Some benefit the heroes, some endanger the entire world. So I don't want to say much more than that, because if you get a GM who runs you through it, you know, I don't want to ruin all that. But it's it's a lot of fun. It's a great adventure. It's an absolute hoot. The first time I went through it was back in the 1990s. And our GM, I was a player, ran us straight through it. We, we were playing our own characters. We had been playing our own characters for a while. So as an introductory adventure, this wasn't our first adventure we ever played, but it was our first module we ever played, you know, if that makes any sense. And so we... It was a great experience for us. We had some of the most fun doing that adventure. Unfortunately, it's a little hazy because it's been over 20 years, but I have a vague memory of not the mechanics of the evening, but having an absolute blast in the evening. And a lot of the attraction was the mythology because I was a big mythology fan. And so hearing these names, you know, me as a kid, I'm like, Minos, Daedalus, Ariadne, ah! You know, got very, very excited. I think that's one of the nice features about how this is an introductory adventure is that everybody knows Greek myth up to a point. You're not jumping in into the deep end of DC Comics continuity. These are characters that any player can recognize and understand without having read any comics ever. Uh, so it makes it more relatable for the, the new player, I think. So, you know, it's one less barrier to, to punch through. And, and to some extent, I think even more so for comic book nerds, because, you know, as you said, everyone's got some experience with Greek mythology. I think there's an argument to be made that comic book nerds probably know more Greek mythology than regular people uh, uh, in general, simply because these old Greek mythological stories 
are like old comic books. You've got heroes with powers and bad guys and fighting and, and you know, backstabbing and love and sex and all these things that you get in comics are there in these mythology stories. I mean, I think that's why I was so drawn to it as a kid, because it was just like reading a comic book. And if you want to, you know, tie it up to uh, the Wonder Woman element, you, you could easily do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you could easily tie that in if you really wanted a DC Comics connection in there. And at the same time, it's giving you an example of how you might use ideas from other role-playing products. Like, say this is your first superhero adventure, and these are the villains or the antagonists. I'm not going to say villains, but antagonists. Well, I've got a monster manual right there from, obviously, my Dungeons & Dragons days. I could actually transform these into opponents for the superhero team, because there's magic in superheroes as well. You can mash up any in the superhero narrative. Uh, so it's giving you these kinds of examples that, that should fire imagination and make you show you that you can use other resources as well in your adventures, not just uh, the comic book material necessarily. It does a lot of stuff. I, I did kind of what you described. I used this later on in my own group. Years later, in the in the, in the early 2000s, I ran a group of, of DC role-playing fans um, that went for years. Now, we were playing the West End games version at the time, but the concepts were still the same, you know, it's still DC Heroes. So. so what I did was I took this module and heavily adapted it, just like you said, used it as a resource to push along our ongoing story, because we had all original characters, and we were pretty deep into our mythology. When I when I looked up, I looked through my notes to see when I ran this, and that was Adventure 60 in our role-playing group. Now, some of those adventures were multiple nights, so that means we'd been role-playing at least 60 weeks at a minimum. So that's, that's a pretty far along for a campaign to stay together. And what I did was I, I heavily modified I I used the, still the island theme. of uh, We didn't use Crete, but we used just a generic island. I still had Minos, King Minos, but in, in my version, he was a mad scientist. Still used uh, Arachne, which was the spider-like person. I used Talos, the giant robot. I used the Minotaur. And then I added... One more character of my own named Icarus, who who's sort of a uh, nice. a blobby, waxy character. So like, like <laughs> bits of him were falling off all the time. And then uh, I I also rolled in two reoccurring villains that we had. We had a lot of like villains that would just show up, who henchmen or whatever, you know, villain of the week to fight. And so I I brought in two of those that fit thematically with the story. And instead right. of using the Prometheus shield, I I had a different objective for all of them. Their objective was to nurture and protect this volcano because inside the volcano was incubating this this new god not not new gods but a new god who was going to be born and it was actually the next incarnation of a reoccurring villain of ours we had this guy named the prophet of vulcan that we had fought several times and he was a character of living flame who believed himself to be a god an ancient god and a greek an ancient greek god and so it fit thematically with what i was doing having this greek god who had been in our you know quote-unquote God, who have been in our stories a number of times, having him live in the volcano, and Minos, you know, nurturing that, and these characters having very similar activities, I was able to steal from this module and make it work seamlessly for our night. Well, for me, I played this scenario like two years ago. Oh, wow, okay. Now, I mean, it's recent, because it was our um, the Justice Legion campaign, which we probably talked about last time we did a show. That was which a year was, ago, man. Yeah, <laughs> which was the, uh, it's like the 28th century DC Universe kind of thing, so it's precursor to the Legion, but uh, far in the future for the Justice League and all that. So it's called the Justice Legion, and then all the characters are actually either precursors or descendants or actually the same characters that have gotten really old, Oh, okay. if, if they might. So in our case, since it was like in the future, we had, I mean, the characters were too powerful. So it was Martian Manhunter, Swamp Thing, and a Green Lantern called Brick, which was just a, an inert brick with a power ring. <laughs> I remember you telling me this, yes. Right. <laughs> so these characters are way too powerful, obviously. But I changed basically the whole stadium thing 
that's gone. I, I took out the first half of the game because I didn't have really two sessions to, to build it up. So instead, I had uh, the Dominators, the Dominion, shooting comets at Earth, uh, and the heroes have to defeat the, the comet, make sure the comet doesn't hit the planet. And then the Prometheus Shield, that would be a good planetary defense system, mm-hmm. except Daedalus has defected to the new Minoan Empire, Crete, which is one of the few countries that has that doesn't want to take part in the United Earth effort, uh, which we do see it in the Legion eventually, where the whole Earth is united under a single president. Right. Well, Crete didn't want anything to do with that, so it becomes about, really, the diplomacy of it, going to Crete, and then doing the fancy parties, mm-hmm. as, as you say. And there's, you know, it's ambiguous. Is King Minos the bad guy, or isn't he, or who's who's working for who, and obviously Arachne is, you know, looks villainous. Is she really? That whole ambiguity and doing the courtly intro was a way to make these characters work in that context where it doesn't matter if they're super powerful. They've still got to do the social interaction. And and that's where I think we had the most fun as a group was the social interaction, including the guy who played a brick, you know, who can speak. <laughs> you know, it happens, especially in my games. So that's what I did with the game. So instead of I said it in the future, but then it seemed like normal for a Greek country to secede from Greece. And I mean, we're far in the future, so it doesn't matter the political aspects of it. Yeah, and there's so much focus on ancient Greek history. It doesn't matter what time period you're in currently, because the focus is on the past. It's like a period piece almost. So right. it, it would work well. Yeah. Because that Minoan Empire is like it's sort of a Wakanda, isn't it? It's you know it's high tech. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. That's you go fair. to that island and all the guards have laser guns, um, kind of thing. So, uh, but one of the things the game. Well, the module does well is have different battlegrounds that are interesting. I think for a superhero game, you wanna you want that where you're gonna have to have battle encounters. You know, the big superhero comics they punch each other. Unless it's Vertigo, they're punching each other. Yeah, you need to fight. But if you're always fighting in a ten by ten room, that's not very interesting. You're just fighting in the street. That's not very interesting. But a stadium, Mm -hmm. old ruins, a high tech maze that gives you different opportunities, different strategies you've got to take. So depending on your powers, you know, being stuck in a in a closed off maze, you can't do the same things you would do in an open air stadium. Right. And in the stadium, what's there? The you know, the ball, the far more people, the scoreboard, things your superiors can manipulate and use to create memorable scenes. So you want to create environments in your games that'll make each fight a, an interesting set piece. It's the same for movies and this game does that in, in ways that the module I will be presenting later does not. <laughs> well, it also comes with some nice maps. You get the, the palaces, you get the stadium, you get the power core rooms. It's it's well laid out, as you said. You've got the, the hero point awards at the end are done well. Again, the different outcomes that you could potentially happen. Uh, you get, uh, I'm looking here at the back. Oh, that's just the how do you, every module had on the back the how to use this book, which kind of describe what, what characters were and what game masters were and things like that. And then, uh, the, the front cover was a, a map of the Mediterranean area of the, of the world. It was a very simplified map. But, but you know, it's uh, if you don't know what Crete looks like, <laughs> you, you might need that. <laughs> pretty good map for 12, you know, as, as a 12-year-old or, you know, when yeah. these modules were coming out, this would have been pretty ideal. <laughs> right. So I recommend the adventure. Definitely worth taking. You know, if, A, if you just want to read it, have fun with it, pick it up. If you have a group and you want to try and run a group through an adventure or prefabricated one, this is a great one to use. It really is. Even though it's first edition and you might be running a third edition campaign, very easy tweaks here and there. Again, it, it tells you how to adjust the villains to match your heroes anyway in the book. So it, it's great. Now, 
Now, I think, um, Cisco, unless I'm forgetting anything, we're going to move on to what we call third-party memories. Is that (laughs) that fair to say? That's fair to say. We asked some people that we played with, that we played this particular adventure with, to participate uh, by sharing one of their memories from playing uh, Project Prometheus. First, we'll hear from Shag's Game Master Mm -hmm. all those years ago, uh, the first time you played the module. And then that'll be followed by a few of my players. And once you're done listening to the memories, we're going to play a couple of promos, and then we're going to come back and talk about the module Ciscoid selected. So, see you on the other side, folks. My name is Simon, and I was the Game Master for Project Prometheus, a module for the DC role-playing game. (laughs) 20 years ago. So, you wish to know of Project Prometheus. So, uh, here's what I remember about it. I remember that gaming uh, group was challenging because we had, Bob was kind of a wild card, and you and I were very close, so we kind of like watched each other's every move and like hung on each other's every every word. So it was kind of a uh, almost a, like a personal challenge with every decision. And then there was the uh, additional kind of difficulty of, well, a fun challenge or difficulty of uh, being hosted by people who were slightly older than us and who were like deep collectors and like knew knew much more about music and comics and uh, role playing than uh, than uh, we did. I think I was drawn to Project Prometheus because it was based on mythology and I was kind of a mythology nerd. And but my concern with it is, as I've just set up with this group, I remember at the time being kind of worried because the characters were all based on mythology and act almost exactly like they do in in the myths. So. I was afraid that there'd be no mystery in it for our hosts uh, because they already knew everything about mythology. And I was afraid that uh, they would just, you know, sort of steamroll through the entire module because they would just guess, you know, like that the character named after the character who created the labyrinth in mythology would also be the character who created the labyrinth in this, or they would know to expect a maze, that type of thing. So I considered kind of uh, changing it. But then I also sort of gave myself the talk that like the idea is just to have a good time and go through an adventure. The idea isn't to try and destroy the player. So it ended up just being a, a fun time where we where we went through it and, and just enjoyed ourselves. Uh, I also liked, uh, I think it begins uh, at either a soccer game or a football game or something like that. And I thought that would give us, me as a game master, a slight advantage because as much as everybody knew about comics and collecting, they knew nothing about football. <laughs> so, so so I was hoping that, you know, they would go in expecting, okay, I know stuff about mythology, but they would be disoriented uh, at the beginning at the at the sports game and think maybe it isn't going to be exactly as I as I thought. But that part of the uh, module ends pretty quickly. So that's mostly what I remember. I remember being excited about my being my turn, and I remember being excited about being drawn to it because it was the DC universe in the real world. Like it came with maps that matched up with the real world. Like it wasn't. Oh gosh, I forgot where the Flash lives. Carson City, Nevada. Like, <gasps> Flash City, Travers City, Michigan. Turn in your nerd uh, card. I know, I know. <laughs> we'll edit this part out. Uh, Krypton, the Flash is from Krypton. You know he the, has like uh, a number one it, television series that takes place in Central City, right? Oh, I don't even own a television. Oh, Central City, that was, that's what I said. <laughs> so, 
I liked that it was like, you know, set with like the map in the beginning of the game in the module is the same map that was in the beginning of my, you know, like Bullfinch's mythology book. So I quite liked that. So it was something like I felt close to superheroes, but I knew about mythology before I knew about superheroes. And of course, like all of the characters that I made up myself were, were no more advanced than just having the name of mythological characters. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't even name them, you know, I didn't disguise their names. I just named them after the mythological characters that I wanted them to be like. So that was the main reason why I was drawn to it. And I remember that there's a maze in it or a labyrinth. And I remember that like one of the main bad guys just looks like a spider. Mm. And I'm like, is there ever, is there ever been a good guy that looks like a spider? Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man. He doesn't look, well, I guess when he had the six arms. But I don't know. But you're right. In the course of this brief conversation, I forgot both where the Flash lived, Central City, and that there was like a very famous good guy based on a spider. So time has not been kind to me. So <laughs> as, as I've aged, I've withered. Those are my main memories. It would be dishonest if I uh, if I told you about like a twist in the story that I remember you guys steamrolling through. My main memory is that is why I was drawn to it and that uh, it was also an exercise in my sort of letting go you know like not trying to destroy the characters like this was an opportunity for me to like let's just have a good time and you know like there's no mystery that the good guys aren't going to guess here and I'm not going to change the module just just to screw the people or like be the you know be the winner I think that the team was going to have or our group was going to have just as much fun winning an easy one as they would overcome in great odds like it's just fun to play and be your superhero and, and do your thing make your rolls make your rolls your cinnamon rolls Frederick Melanson, I played Swamp Thing in Project Prometheus, and what I remember about that that adventure is the very first encounter where uh, the group had to redirect an asteroid from hitting planet Earth, so we had to like stop it from collapsing into the Earth and killing everyone. <laughs> Great way to start an adventure, except for the fact that I was Swamp Thing, and um, as we all know, there are no living plants in outer space or on asteroids or anywhere in space i was the only green thing up there i quickly realized that i was completely useless in that encounter had to let the other two characters martian manhunter and uh the green lantern known as a brick do everything for me i tried and i tried and i tried and i hurt myself doing stuff like trying to grow roots into the asteroid and split in half that didn't work. Now there are only two asteroids going for Earth. That moment when I I realized that I was completely useless in that encounter, that was a tough one. But, you know, I think I made up for it later in the adventure. I hope so. Right, Mike? Right? Greetings. My name is Fern, and I was the player behind the Green Lantern character in the Justice Legion A Fragile Peace Episode 3 Project Prometheus run by Mike, also known as Siskoid. I played Brick. He is possibly a actual DC Universe character as he's seen on one specific splash page. I was a mute brick, like construction brick with a Green Lantern ring. And my most uh, fond memory of the Project Prometheus is when Idris Elba and Michael Fassbender, oh wait, that's a different Prometheus, is essentially when I used the Green Lantern's uh, light construction powers to essentially 
cheese my way through the adventure, which I did pretty much every adventure. Specifically in this point, it was producing Medusas and very Ray Harryhausen skeletons to annoy the crap out of the Minotaur and defeat him. So that's my memory, and I'm sticking to it. Hi, I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as The Hammer Podcast and The Quantum Cast. I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live-action versions of comic book characters, and I'm calling them... Legends of the Superheroes! In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like... Dr. David Banner. And let's not forget about the non-superheroes, such as... Swamp Thing. Captain William Buck Rogers. And many more. Look for the Legends of the Superheroes specials under the Hammer Podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, and I love comics. In fact, I love them so much that I ramble on about them on a number of podcasts, all on one feed, found under the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun banner. I talk about comics with extra page counts, like Treasury Comics, Prestige Format Books, DC's Dollar Comics, Marvel's Giant Size Specials and King Size Annuals, and much, much more. I also love to talk about DC's Crisis on Multiple Earth crossovers, free comics from Special Promos, Free Comic Book Day, Star Wars, My Life as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, random comic book back issues, and many other elements of geek culture that happen to strike my fancy. There's new content usually dropping at least once a week, and it's all found on one feed. You can subscribe via iTunes. Just search for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun in the iTunes Store or podcast app on your iPhone. Otherwise, you can follow the podcast at the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun blog headquarters, available at www.kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com that's all one word, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, .blogspot.com, or follow on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. So for snappy review and discussions on comics, new and old, usually done from the front seat of my car or my lunch break at work, check out King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. That's me rolling the dice, by the way. That's legit me rolling the dice next to a microphone. That's your own Foley. That's right. That's right. I made a Foley. Oh, my God. All right. So my selection, Shag, is the Doomsday Program. And it doesn't feature Doomsday, but... (laughs) (laughs) A few years too early for that. Yeah, it didn't exist back then. The Doomsday Program and the cover by Ed Hannigan. Uh, it was an actual comics pro. Features well, it features a, a lot of stuff really. But you've got <laughs> you've got Superman uh, lying prone under a kryptonite lamp. You've got the robot version of Brainiac from uh, the late Bronze Age. Superpowers version. I think that was my first figure. Awesome. That was my first action figure from the Superpowers line. And you've got your own heroes and, and you know just shadows blowing in through uh, the door, the wall, and out the window, the Earth is smashing into Mars. <laughs> It's breaking like they're breaking like you know like glass. <laughs> it's just Christmas tree ornaments. Right? Yes, uh, that's perfect. 
that's the doomsday to me. Uh, so this one was uh, written by Mark Akers, who was a TSR writer. He wrote for uh, D&D and uh, the Marvel superheroes game and uh, gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually, by the uh, mid-'80s, he was a freelancer for Mayfair, and he wrote this, um, this fine adventure. Uh, the interior is just DC staff. That's all it says, DC staff. So it's pieces pulled from different comics uh, and pasted together, uh, masked by James Klaus, Brainiac Ship Design by Mark Akers and Thomas Cook, and Playtesters, the Thursday Afternoon Group at Mayfair. <laughs> How awesome would that be? You know, like, yeah. Thursday afternoon, what do we do? You know, what's my work schedule for Thursday afternoon? Meeting at 10 a.m. and, oh, role-playing this afternoon. Friggin' sweet. Hey, we're getting paid for this. Right. Uh, editor is Thomas Cook, and this came out in 1986. Now, this it's- is uh, product number 210. 210. So, Prometheus must have been right at the end of 85, and this must be the beginning of 86, because they were cranking these things out like crazy at this point. Oh, yeah. I didn't own these two modules originally. Obviously, I got them all from the same people, because in- handwritten on the inside are these names of characters one is on both modules both doomsday project and prometheus project prometheus in handwritten notes there's t-bolt on both of them and mistress so apparently and then the other one goes into a couple other names like death knight and and something else i can't even read so clearly whoever ran these adventures t-bolt and mistress both participated in these adventures <laughs> i think that's wonderful that means someone actually used them and, ro- and did them minor new so it's another 32 page booklet i mean it's the same size and format instead of naming the heroes on the cover and you know you got your brainiac logo instead. Uh, so it very much is supposed to be for your own heroes, uh, but inside they suggest using the new Teen Titans and they make references to those characters throughout. They'll, they'll say stuff like, well, if you're playing the Titans, then probably this should be an encounter for Nightwing and Changeling. You know, the others are too tough. Or, they'll say stuff like that. If you're playing the new Teen Titans, leave Jericho at home. <laughs> oh, man. Well, there are references to Jericho. I know. I know. If you're playing Jericho, he might do this. You know, Usually when in modules where they suggest a team, the stats for the team will be there, even though they're in the core rules. Uh, so the Teen Titans are in the core rules, but they're not detailed as well in this, in this book. There's some equipment stats for them, but not the stats for the characters themselves. So it's really a kind of, we're not sure, do we want to do for your own heroes games? Or do we want to suggest the team? So this is the middle ground. Yep. Uh, but usually, after this point, they'll very often usually have you know, a suggested team from DC Comics. Usually Teen Titans or Outsiders, which would be the normal power level for games. Well, I, you know? think, well, I think a lot of people prefer to play their own heroes. I think having a team affiliated with it helps sell it. I mean, like, I would buy a Firestorm module because it was Firestorm. If, it, if Element of Danger had been a build-your-own character, I'd have been like, yeah, probably not. So I, I think they discovered that by appointing a set of characters, it helps sell the book, even if people weren't going to use them. Yeah. And this booklet also acts as a mini source book on Brainiac's distinctive uh, ship, the Skull Ship. That's got extensive maps of the interior and the exterior of that ship. You know the way I mean. The, the one that looks like his head. The one that looks like his head and was about to be knocked out of continuity within moments of, of, right. this, pub- of this becoming out. <laughs> yeah, 86, um, he was yep. about to go. Yep. So the plot. In short, I, I probably won't go into as much detail as uh, Shag did on Project Prometheus, but that's because the way the adventure is structured. Lazy! Lazy! Well, the way it's structured doesn't really you know, lend itself to the same level of detail. But the plot has the heroes spot Superman fall out of the sky at the start. He's attacked by robot bugs. 
And, and even if they intervene, some of the bugs take Superman away. So the heroes will wind up investigating this, uh, as well as technology thefts committed by these bugs, which may or may not be related to the campy Adam villain known as the Bug-Eyed Bandit. Woohoo! One of my yeah. favorite morts. I love this guy. <laughs> They'd also be investigating the real villain's part in the digital revolution, because it's, it's got a whole thread about uh, brand new personal computers. <laughs> so it, it's showing I found its that age. fascinating. Actually, that's the, part yeah. I, that's the part I read the most. <laughs> yeah. So it really sets you in that time. It will eventually uh, lead your heroes to Brainiac. I mean, he's on the cover. That's not a spoiler. Uh, Brainiac, you know, in his late pre-crisis glory, the skull ship, everything. And they must free Superman so he can help them defeat Brainiac before he can start playing billiards with the solar system, again, as on the cover. So that's the gist of it, really. Because I mean, there's a lot of this that's investigating a crime here, talking to your connection there, trying to get all the information. You're basically doing a lot of research early on in the adventure. I think that's its weakness, where it's maybe a little tedious, uh, where your characters might, or your players really, might feel frustrated uh, that there, there is like a some big fights or big encounters. They're really doing the Batman thing and getting clues with random fights against robotic bugs. I was just going to say, way. yeah, I mean, really, the, the robotic bug fights are all you're going to get out of it, which are pretty cool because there's robotic ants and spiders and wasps. There's a variety. Yeah, and that's a trope from these uh, the DC Hero modules. You've got a lot of fights with robots in the early chapters of many adventures. I think it's, uh, well, it's a way to uh, have goons. I mean, just you know, henchmen mm-hmm. that actually have powers because they're robots. They can... You know, you can justify them having powers, whereas uh, if you get a henchman with powers, he's basically got to be a named villain. Uh, So you can have these kinds of encounters with beings with power where you can unleash your full power because it's just a robot. Right. You know, it's not a person. Don't have to pull a punch. Yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, you can go into killing combat and who cares kind of thing. So you, you, you often find this. So the adventure is very, very basic 101 DC heroes for that reason. Uh, so I, I'm not in any way saying like this is one of the great ones, but it does give you the chance to save Superman's Kryptonian bacon. <laughs> You know, right out of the gate. Yep. If you use this as your introduction to the game, well, the first your first mission as a group of heroes is saving Superman. I mean, that that's going to give you some cred. And then from then on, it's fun to you know have Superman fly in from time to time and you know, remember the young heroes that actually saved him once. And it's just like the comics. The first session of a superhero adventure uh, is really like the first issue of a comic. And very often, Batman, Wolverine, or somebody will show up to sort of give it his stamp of approval. Actually, I was going to say, usually it's the second issue, which is like a specific example, Firestorm number two. Superman shows up. He's even on the cover. It does feel very much like an issue number two of a Bronze Age comic. Like issue number one was when the team came together, and, issue, and this is your first full-on adventure as a team. And yep, there you go. There's and, your and actually, Yeah, and I've used this adventure as an introduction twice. So the first time in 1990, way back, it was my first DC Heroes adventure that I ran uh, with a group back then. And then later on in the 2000s with a different group uh, called the Crusaders. It's like the in Project Prometheus, the, the team they suggested was called the Justice Crusaders. Yep. Well, two of my teams have been the Crusaders and then the Justice Legions. It's like the – jeez. <laughs> There's just so many names you can use. Well, ours uh, was the Challengers. There's all variations on, on things. One of the things, I, as we're talking about the Superman and Brainiac aspect of this adventure, that I think this one has over Project Prometheus. While Prometheus might be a better story or, or pacing or whatever, the named characters, though – 
brings so much to it. I remember when I would role play in, in Game Master and Adventure, if I just sprinkled in the slightest bit of DC continuity, holy crap, they'd lose their mind. They'd get so excited. You know, I, I gave a character a minor contact with Martian Manhunter because they were both aliens and had a small little scene with Martian Manhunter. It was amazing how excited he got about it. And it became something that got brought up in every adventure. He'd be like, can I call Martian Manhunter for information? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it became a bit of a problem. But yeah, but I think we did the same with Superman. You know, yeah, this adventure has that over Project Prometheus, where Project Prometheus is fun. It's in its own little world, though. There's no real DC world connection, so I think this one has that benefit. And most of them do, really. But you know, you've got big stakes, a big villain, a big guest star, and really, Brainiac's kind of d- difficult to to beat if you're just the Titans or a Titan-like group. So you really need to save Superman so he can help you say <laughs> beat Brainiac at the end. Right. And don't screw up, because the, no, Deus, Ex, yeah. the Deus Ex Machina, because obviously they don't want you to destroy the uh, the Earth on your first mission. The Deus Ex Machina that they um, suggest is the Justice League coming in and saving your ass. <laughs> um, and then you don't have so much of a connection with Superman. It's more like, uh, these are these are the kids that didn't save me. Kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's a bit of a runaround in the, the early parts. They aren't that memorable, really. It's a lot of investigation. But if the players make the best of it, you know, it's like Brainiac taking a page from the Cybermen's playbook. I think very mm. often it's like the invasion um, in, from the um, the Troughton era. Oh yeah. So who's Tobias Vaughn? Tobias Vaughn is. Uh, I think Brainiac is every part. That's it. <laughs> That's it. It's not as rich as Project Prometheus. Project Prometheus has a big cast, a full cast of interesting characters. You've got your descriptions of those characters, and they tell you how to play their voices. It's it's a very nice touch in Project Prometheus. So here you don't have that because you've got characters from the comics, really, but there aren't that many of them. Your players are, you know, bouncing off whatever contacts and, uh, you know, journalists and cops. So the game master is trying to play these different civilians in different ways uh, and doesn't get that much help. So it's not as good as Project Prometheus, but it does have a uh, stronger hook into the DC universe, for sure. I like the uh, pullout in the middle, which is Brainiac. You talk about Brainiac's plans, but I didn't notice till just now that the, the plans of the ship fall at the staple. Right. So if you wanted to take Brainiac's ship out of the module and use it in subsequent things, you could, which is a nice touch. I, th- I think it's a really well-done module. And yeah, for that. That. Yeah. that that uh, bonus to it, if you will. It spends a lot of time on the ship. <laughs> it really, really does. I mean, more <laughs> than the adventure does. But, but you. So, so really, if you're wondering how does that ship work, I mean, it's got what is it? It's it's got elevators and the tentacles, and you know, it's, it goes into more detail than the comics probably do. So that's that's some interesting stuff, and you kind of want to use the ship more uh, because of it. And, yeah. and it was that way with the Justice League satellite, too. In the uh, in Element of Danger, one of the reasons it sold so well is it had the Justice League satellite floor plans. It's also in Siege. Or that's what I'm in Siege. I'm sorry, not yeah. Element of Danger. In Siege it was in. That's right. And, and uh, that's why all my teams, I've always taken the satellite as its base. Like the ab- abandoned satellite mm-hmm. becomes whatever team I have's base. Because then I can use transporters to go anywhere. Which, sure. Because it's got that but also because I always wanted to play Siege at some point. <laughs> so they're already on the base. And then I never played Siege. <laughs> so you're, but you're, I did use the maps. 
you're too kind of a game master. I was always really mean. Like, I always expected my player's team to be like, you know, if the, if the Justice League is the A League, right, and the Teen Titans is the B League, and let's say Doom Patrol is like the C League, our team, our characters were like the F or G League. You know, it's kind of how I always treated them. They were a bargain basement. You know, they, they operated out of the back of a bar or out of somebody's house. And I, I was just mean. I always kept them down. They, they had to fight and earn every single bit of notoriety. And every time they'd make, you know, Two steps forward, I'd make him something, knock him one step back. But yeah, going back I, to this module, one more thing I want to mention. Yeah. I love the Bug Eye Bandit. I, I, you know, doing the Who's Who, uh, book that we've done over on another podcast, Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. We go through the Who's Who book page by page and spend some time in the Bug Eye Bandit, Bug Eye Bandit. And I fell in love with that character there. And seeing him here is an absolute hoot. And I think it's great that you could bring that character. And it's, a, you know, you get the real guy, you get an Android version. It's a lot of fun. I, I think it's a, it's a good, because the way I, you know, you described the way you game master, uh, or how you treat your hero team. I think mine, my hero team is probably a big deal. They've got a lot of agency, but I treat them as if they were crap. Okay. So no matter how well they do, the boss that stays on the base is always a jerk to them. They're always being mistreated <laughs> by life or, right. so like in this case, like this was, I actually did use it as the second issue. I had like a zero issue or a half issue that was like a stapled out of Wizard Magazine was, was what I called their first adventure because all the players weren't there. It was just like an encounter to, so they'd learn the rules. So the, the first issue, the first real issue was this. Basically, it's like you're going up against Brainiac and you're saving Superman, but really you realize you're on the level of the Bug-Eyed Bandit. <laughs> like the Bug-Eyed Bandit is that's your level. Yep. And, and you're just slumming in Superman's story. <laughs> so so as long as you understand that. You know, this is actually, and I'm going to deviate for just a minute, but this has inspired me. The, the, having the Bug-Eyed Bandit in this game, wouldn't it be cool with you know, DC re-embracing the alternate Earths, right? Mm-hmm. And role-playing games having such a wide variety of books like uh, games that always appealed to me now I didn't necessarily play them but were like gifts book uh, games like riffs where there was all these different genres sure. in each book gurps um, one that I did play was torg torg I mean, sure I, I played that Torg was great, how it had various worlds, and when you were in different worlds, aspects of that world would actually affect some of the physics in that in your character. Like, certain weapons would work differently depending on what area you're in and stuff like that. Wouldn't it be cool if whoever had the DC license, and, uh, you know, I guess Green Ronin has it right now, or maybe not? Had it. Had it. Is uh, it has it lapsed? Okay. I, I figured I it don't probably know. had. Yeah. But wouldn't it be cool to create a series of modules that are all in a genre? Like, Bug-Eyed Bandit made me think of, you know, the Batman 66 kind of concept. Do a Batman 66 module where you can still play your characters that you normally play, but you're in that world of Batman 66 where things are just wacky, and there's kapows, and there's, you know, holy dynamites, and things like that. And it actually, the rules of that world affects your characters. You know, if you've got like a Wolverine type character, he can't kill no matter how hard he tries. It just doesn't work. And, you know, having the rules of that world affect your characters. You know, you, you do a Batman 66 module and then the next week, you do a, a dark, gritty, Dark Knight Returns type module, and then the next week you do a module based on, I don't know, new team, you know, Tiny Titans. I don't care. But wouldn't that be, that? I mean, it's, it probably, I don't know if it would play out as, as well as it does in my mind right now, but that would be fun to have a series of modules yeah. that take no, place I, in I've different done... genres. I like to do the multi-genre stuff in other games. I've done mm-hmm. a lot of that kind of thing. And I, you know, at the end of, um, I don't know if you read, um, you probably didn't, but if you read Multiversity, no, that event or event, whatever, that series by Grant Morrison, 
they had a team in there that was built from characters from different worlds and from different Earths. Right. Like Captain Carrots on the team. Yeah, I've seen but, pictures of them, yeah. Right. And they were supposed to go to series? I don't know. Maybe they could have gone to series with that team of multiversal defenders, mm-hmm. and they would have gone all over the, the multiverse. You know? Interesting. So it could be played like that, where you say you play your own characters, they're moving through different worlds, but what if they do come from different worlds, from one to the other, and you've got your player who absolutely wants to play the Captain Carrot character, wants <laughs> to play the funny animal. You know, right. I've got that player. He played a brick Right, right, right. Like, so you've got that kind of thing going on where somebody else can be a super dark, dark grim from, you know, a very dark earth. Somebody's lost his earth or, you know, so you, you could actually do that kind of thing. And then those characters could sometimes go home where they've got the home team advantage, but the others don't. And then, you know, that's the kind of campaign I would be super into. Yeah, it just sparked in my head, but that's that would be a lot of fun. You know, I've, I've run a superhero game that was like time travel. You've got Rip Hunter, and you're time traveling through the DC universe, going to like the post, the Booster Gold series kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? You know, that's the kind of thing I really enjoy, where I can play with all the toys. That'd be a blast. Talk about playing with all the toys. I did one adventure. Now we're getting into now. We're, now I'm just reminiscing. Did one adventure where I decided I wanted to have the big summer blockbuster event, and I did a story involving Darkseid coming to Earth and, and with his four horsemen of apocalypse. And one of the horsemen was like one of their old teammates and something had gone wrong and, and all this stuff. But, but it was one of those episodes where, you know, I, I told you I treated my players like they were G-level or whatever, right? But they got to mingle with the A-levels in this one. They're in they're in that invasion big team shot where you see, you know, 60 characters in a room waiting for orders. They got to right. be in that room. And uh, just playing with all the toys, is, it makes it so much more fun. Yeah. I did that a lot because with the Crusaders, the whole concept was that, uh, barring this adventure, which was obviously pre-crisis, they got together around Legends. Mm-hmm. At the same time as the Justice League and the Suicide Squad. And then they really were in that continuity month to month. And then when I reached, oh, well, this here's the Millennium crossover. Then somebody turned traitor in their midst. There was a Manhunter in their midst. And then uh, whatever it was, 12 months later, it's a bit less than that, but 12 months later, it's Invasion. Gene Bomb exploding. One of the characters died. They were in Invasion. And then I would pull out those comics and say, well, uh, see here, you know where uh, Infinity Inc. is? That That's you instead. <laughs> like, <laughs> Really don't care about Infinity Inc. So that you know, you'll be instead instead of them. It's you're you're there. What do you say? What are who who do you go talk to? Who do you mingle with? You know, how do you react to like Millennium Booster Gold fakes being a traitor? He says he's with the Manhunters and it's all it's all a fake. And then he saves the day, and everybody goes, "Ah, oh, Booster, you really infiltrated him well." Well, my players believed Booster was uh, the traitor, so they stopped him from saving the day and saved the day themselves. Oh, jeez. So, they ruined Booster Gold in their version of continuity. That was my way of playing with all the toys. That's hilarious. Even even though the players are like, I don't remember those comics, but, you know, whatever you say. (laughs) (laughs) But they do enjoy, you know, seeing the comic book page and imagining they're in there. And they were important elements. They were at least as big as Booster Gold in there. So that was fun. And uh, so if, if I'm... If we're reminiscing about the Doomsday program itself, you know, I don't have very specific memories from uh, either time I played it because, like I said, it's not a particularly memorable adventure except for the the characters that do feature in it. You know, I chose this adventure as the spotlight its introductory nature, and it does do that. It does make you 
just forces you to investigate and follow clues and realize as a gamer that you are it's not a dungeon delve you're not killing monsters and then picking their pockets you know it's not a straightforward thing it's you got to use your your mind uh, it's not all fighting. So the adventure does force you into that corner where you must investigate, where you must follow um, clues and contacts uh, until you figure out what's going on, which isn't really true of me- of all sorts of role-playing games. Yeah, you, you can't always punch your way out. And a lot of the adventures, like, you know, Project Prometheus has encounter after encounter, encounter, encounter. Like this one you said, you've got to do the investigating. And that actually makes for some of the most memorable role-playing nights. When somebody's on a roll in a scene and the GM just falls into an accent and you start just bouncing off of each other, it's hilarious. And it creates awesome memories. And a lot of times, encounters like these are what would result in reoccurring NPCs. Like, I would I would just do a funny voice for a character they're asking questions of, and everyone would fall in love with the moment, and, and then you get, you know, out of that, suddenly, every adventure somehow features Brigadier Major Nigel Fox, which is just this ridiculous, blustery character I created just for one quick encounter who became a favorite and would show up all the time. That happens all the time. You know, and like an adventure like this, you almost have to find a scientist you want to keep on retainer. <laughs> yeah. If none of the characters are scientists, there's a lot of you know, science and tech because it's, you know, the villain's brainiac and there's robots involved. So, you know, you've got your scientist character that plays a recurring role for a game master and for the players. That's you're building the world based on your needs. So, again, as an introductory adventure, it's forcing you to do those things, which you'll need for other games. You'll continue using those in, in future scenarios. You talked about building your world and things like that. I, the, the first group I was in, which I, I told you about, went through Project Prometheus. We had a lot of those characters, a lot of those kind of characters that got created in an adventure, in an encounter, and then just stayed around and, f- and fleshed out and became part of the story, part of the world, to the point where I actually have a binder that is our team, because, I, again, it's all about keeping your characters down as far as I'm concerned. The team was called uh, Those Guys. So, like, whenever they'd show, we didn't, we didn't even merit a superhero name. People would just be like, oh, look, here comes Those Guys. Anyway, uh, we developed a who's who in Those Guys. I have a whole binder full of just sheet after sheet after sheet of different characters that either people played or villains we fought or NPCs that got created. It's our own little who's who, because so much of those uh, encounters created characters. It's a blast. Yeah, I've got a website dedicated to mine. So it's it's on ciscoid.com. There's actually... Ciscoid.com actually has the Crusaders, and you can go look at their... This is like a Marvel Universe template. It's a who's who, but with the yeah. pictures of the heroes. Players love that stuff because they can refer to it. Oh, yeah. you know, let's go look at you know the other characters and their own history and add to it. And then they sit down and look at their own character who might be, you know, I don't know, Brick Johnson. And they look at Brick Johnson and go, I wonder what his stats are compared to Blue Beetle, you know, or, or whatever it might be, or, or what his stats are compared to Cyborg. And they sit down and they look at that and they love that kind of stuff. Well, we've talked a lot about Doomsday Program. I think we need to wrap that part up. Third-party memories? I did ask, but none of my old players were able to get memories Memories to me in time for the final edit, unfortunately. Slackers. <laughs> Slackers. Also, one of those games was in 1990. Hey, mine was too. Yeah. All right, folks. Now it's time for a listener feedback. And this feedback is over a year old. However, there's an astonishing amount of it. And we want to go through it and name check everyone and talk about the interesting bits they have to say here. And you know, there's, there's good stuff here. And please write in, send your cards and letters. Let us know what you think of this episode. Let us know. You know what? Send us your memories of your introductory adventure. I would love to hear what module was your first module, or if you ever used modules, or maybe you didn't use the module, but you used a source book, and the source book had an adventure in it, because that would happen a lot, too, source books with adventures. 
So share that stuff with us. I love personal stories, or even if your origin story is tied up with a module. That'd be awesome. Our first bit of feedback comes from probably the biggest cheerleader for this show, I would say. There's a <laughs> lot of people that love the DC role-playing game, but there's one person that's been on our, on our back constantly. I mean, cheerleading the show the whole time. Um, Mr. Andy Capellish sent us this wonderful meme of a skeleton, like a science classroom skeleton at a keyboard, and it says, Just waiting for more Hero Points podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Now he doesn't have to redo the image with cobwebs added. That would have That's been the right. two-year, the two-year mark. I can't wait to tell him and you know, drop some hints. This is coming, and just you know, he's going to freak out. <laughs> Andy asks some of these comments. Are obviously, a year old, but Andy sometimes would just bugs you two weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. He likes to stir up trouble. So then uh, we got a nice note from our buddy Gene Hendricks, who runs the Hammer Strikes blog, the Hammer Strikes podcast, Quantum Cast, Comic Book Fight Club. He's all over two true freaks. And actually, since the last episode. He and I have actually met face-to-face. Really nice guy. Oh. He invited me into his house. The fool! Anyway, um, one of his comments starts off by saying, My wife and I listened to the latest Hero Points podcast last night, flipping through the book all the while. Even though I've never played this system, I still love the source material, and this is at the top of the heap. I also like that he says that his favorite stuff, uh, now as well as when he got this, is Section 3. We're talking about the Atlas, obviously. There's nothing like having a quick reference for what TV stations, fast food joints, or sports teams might be around in a campaign. I use this as a basis for the background I developed when I ran a Champions game, and I think the players appreciated it. I know it's not why this book was written, but I always get a small thrill when I saw a mention of this stuff in the Atlas appear in the comics themselves. It made for a great resource to really flesh out the world. I mean, Because if you could just mention a business by name or mention a call station of a radio station... It doesn't matter if they recognize from the comics, but it just made that world feel more real. So yeah. that's great. And by the way, we should point out we're we're not reading every comment because we could be here all night. There's quite a bit of feedback actually. We're just pulling out little segments here and there from what, what various people said. Heard from my buddy Aaron Head Moss, who does the Headcast, the Task Force X podcast, the GI Joe Real American Headcast, and uh, he has several things to say on it. But I'm just going to pick out one of them. He says uh, he agrees with me. He says I agree with Shag. Honestly, and that's, that's why you picked that comment. Well, I, I was going to say, let's face it, folks. That <laughs> statement should, could just stop right there. I agree with Shag. But he goes on to say, MMORPGs are the modern equivalent of the role-playing games. I'm sorry. I, I don't wish it was true. I wish the modern-day equivalent was, you know, actual role-playing games. They still make them, but I mean, no. But the next generation, my like my 16-year-old son, it's the MMORPG is, is his modern-day role-playing game. Sadly. Yeah. Well, Aaron agrees with me, and that's all that matters. Yeah. I disagreed publicly. I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> rehash the arguments. You're just, rehashing it by not rehashing it. Oh, no. Uh, we've got a comment from Gary Anchetta who says, uh, I always thought now would be the perfect time to role play the post-crisis DCU. The universe has been rebooted. This was a year ago, but it's still rebooted. <laughs> <laughs> so you could continue the adventures of the post-crisis DCU with a Superman forming a Superman of America to deal with the loss of New Krypton, a Wonder Woman reclaiming her mantle and finding her people again, and a Batman who had visions of a post-apocalyptic future and is determined to stop it. You have a dismantled Justice League and a new Teen Titans reforming under Arsenal and Jericho. Awful. You even have <laughs> new heroes incorporated into the DCU in the form of the Red Circle line and the Milestone line that have merged into the main DCU. It seems like a great place to play in with heroes you recognize in new and different ways. So you, you could actually do that. You could take exactly where they were. The DCU wasn't in a bad shape. 
Wendy flush pointed it. <laughs> that way, you're never contradicting any continuity. Gary, you could do the uh, the convergence role playing system because it's kind of what convergence was: pick up all those old worlds again and see what they look like. So, and yeah. that's that's not far from your idea from before. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, uh, there was a genre. Oh uh, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. There was some genre of cities. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it pains me to admit it, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, heard from our buddy Count Druncula, Ryan Daly, who does the Secret Origins podcast, the Flowers and Fish Knots podcast, and the uh, Dead Bothan Spies. He's he says, great show, or good show, guys. You know, honestly, he should have said great show. I'm a little offended that he only said good show, but whatever. Good show, guys. One of the best episodes of Hero Point so far. Definitely in the top five. <laughs> that's that's Ryan for you. Anyway, he goes on to say, with all due respect to Paris Cullens, I can't suspend my disbelief or shrug off this cover. Speaking of the Atlas. The shadow on the Earth, that ain't how light in shadow works. And I just wanted to highlight the, that point in what Ryan said, because that was a repeated comment that we saw a lot on like Facebook. There's a lot of Facebook discussion about that. I didn't put much of it in the document here that Cisco and I are working from, but that comment about the shadow and light on the on the Atlas was repeated many, many times. Yeah, so, and how the, the continents, how the yep. continents were actually shaped, and just for fun, people. Yeah, it's just funny books. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> oh, we got a comment from Ange from the Supergirl blog or Comic Box Commentary, as it's actually called, and from the Legion of Superbloggers. That's right. He says, as a Supergirl fan, I was a bit sad to see that Midvale, the town Supergirl had her earliest adventures, was left out of the book. How do the Dial H people warrant coverage? Any mention of Supergirl in the Chicago section as she was the hero here there under Paul Kupperberg? Of course, this being post-crisis, I suppose any mention of Supergirl was forbidden. Yeah, that's really what, what happened to Ange. Yeah. As, I mean, yeah, it's just that time in DC continuity. And Dial H people warrant coverage. Fairfax, Maine. He also says, but the big win is a Krypton section. Thanks for posting it. Did you see jor stats? He has an unreal 110 hero points. Dude is a player. <laughs> Which yeah, is a was... little crazy, though, because jor in the Silver Age was a player. Oh, he was. He was totally a boss. He was a superhero, basically. He's the guy from the Man of Steel movie. Yeah, I guess he's, so. Yeah. He's his own action hero. But the burn, the post-crisis jor yeah, he's not not so much. Yeah. We heard from our buddy uh, Zoom Yukinori, who does the line it is drawn over on Comic Book Resources and also on his own blog, uh, zoomyukinori.blogspot.com. This is another fantastic episode, gentlemen. I'll need to double-check my long box, but I suspect, and he's even got quotes here, the confrontation between Superman and Ambush Bug that destroyed the Uptown Metropolis area was in DC Comics Presents number 52. And I, I highlighted this because that was a big... You and I went back and forth trying to speculate where that Ambush Bug attack happened. Zoom goes on to say, I recall a lot of destruction in that story, though most of it was caused by a berserk negative woman. But I had the impression that that area would have been rebuilt by the next issue. Wasn't it always? And he goes on to say, I think Mr. Kupperberg wrote that issue as well. Hmm. You know, that bears mentioning. You know, we last issue when we did the Atlas, if you haven't listened to it, there's actually an interview with Paul Kupperberg himself in that episode. It was a lot of fun talking to Paul. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got a comment from Jeff R., who talks about Karak. I guess that's how we pronounced it. The Middle Eastern country. Where did they put Karak on the map here? I remember seeing a map in Action Comics, if I remember correctly, around that time, 89 or 90, that put it between Iraq and the Persian Gulf, taking land that, in our world, is part of Iraq, part of Saudi Arabia, and all of a little country that they apparently decided would never be important enough to be missed by not existing in the DCU, Kuwait, which makes character with Gulf War history hitman say a bit awkward. <laughs> and then I, I, I mean, I answered him on that um, on that blog post saying that Karak is on the Arabian Peninsula's east coast in the book. Kuwait and Abu Dhabi. 
Lobby are marked within its borders. So there's like real world cities and countries absorbed into Kurak. You know, the interesting thing is, is on the Who's Who update 87, Kurak had an entry and we just covered it like a month or two ago on the Who's Who podcast. And I think Jeff gave us some similar comments. It would be interesting to look at the Atlas now compared to the Who's Who entry of Korak in the Update 87 and just kind of compare and see if they, they maintain that integrity. Uh, I think they're, they're in the same place. I think the, the one was based on the other. All right. From memory. Gotcha. But my, my, my Who's Who memory is pretty strong. Well, yeah. Whose isn't? <laughs> then we heard from uh, our buddy Earth2Chris, which is Chris Franklin, who does the Supermates podcast and the Power Records podcast. And he said, the Atlas of the DC Universe is among those Mayfair books that still sit on my bookshelf. You know what, Chris? You and me, buddy. Both of us. That's true for a lot of people, I think. He also says the interview with Paul Kupperberg was a blast. I'm sure researching the book was a mind-numbing experience. <laughs> Bringing in obscure things like the silver twist you mentioned shows how deep he dug for info. I'm not certain, but I guess that weird space phenomenon that does indeed sound a lot like the Nexus from Star Trek Generations came from the later O'Neill Grell Soviak run of Green Lantern Green Arrow, which was a straight superhero book. Looking forward to hearing more. And then uh, we somebody else did find the twist. It's in Green Lantern Volume 2, number 92, December 1976, January 1977. So that thing, that weird phenomenon was, it was in a comic. It was important to a comic book. Run right out there, folks. Gotta get them all. Get all the silver twist appearances. <laughs> Don't miss those. Um... Heard from our buddy Diablo Frank, who runs the Rolled Spine podcast network, which includes shows like Marvel Superheroes, Idlehead of Diablo, Under Guides, Power of the Atom, Wonder Woman, and like 17 other shows. And uh, he says in here, my copy of the Atlas was badly water damaged in a long box several years ago, from the upper third of the spine out several inches. But it's still readable. I keep it handy on the bookshelf next to my desk, just ahead of where my showcase presents and Marvel Essentials start to roll out. Look at that. Another person who has the Atlas still on their shelf. And yeah. Frank's only a little bit crazy. By the way... Since our last recording, I have met Chris Franklin face-to-face. I have met Diablo Frank face-to-face. So uh, somehow i got to get up to Canada and meet you, I suppose, don't I? Hey, you'll need a passport. That's a good point. Um, and I'm not sure America wants to let me, you know, the United States wants to let me go. You know, I'm, pretty, I'm sort of a national treasure. Uh, Diablo Frank <laughs> continues on to say, Middleton, Colorado is the established home base of Dr. Saul Erdl in the post-crisis revision of The Martian Manhunter. However, there are some debate about where Middleton, home of Professor Mark Erdl and Detective John Jones' Silver Age Adventures was located. Scipio Garling thinks it's in Florida, but he also redubbed Middletown Apex City on a personal whim, so I dispute that. Personally, I favor the region surrounding uh, New England, which is lousy with Middletons, or Middletowns. Given its presumed proximity to Gotham City, it could be one of the ones in New York or New Jersey. That seems very reasonable. Um, most of those little fake towns were just little, you know, New England-y type areas anyway. That would yeah, I, I do like the Apex City theory that uh, Skip put forward in uh, on um, the Absorbiscon, which is is the name of his, of his blog. Apex City would be in Florida, and there, there's evidence of that in the Silver Age stories. I guess Frank is the real expert. I mean, I'm not going to... Frank gonna runs gonna... a Martian Manhunter blog and has a Martian Manhunter uh, yeah. podcast because no one else wants to, so yeah. Well, I'm not going to start something with Frank, but I did like the Coward. idea. <laughs> I did like the Apex City idea. I think they're, they're like palm trees in whatever town the, man, the Martian Manhunter is, so uh, New England. Maybe he uh, hangs out with uh, Man-Thing then. But then I'd have to check. I mean, it seems to me that that's what I remember from what the Absorbiscon was saying. Look, I live in Florida. I don't remember yeah. running into Middleton. Okay? I'm just saying. But Apex City, right? <laughs> I, no, no comment. These are fake places. We got a comment from Kyle Benning, for, uh, who uh, of course runs um, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. Well, he's part of the Legion of Super Bloggers. That thing he's... we do, too. 
That, so he says, uh, I always felt like the way they portrayed Metropolis, it was New York City during the day while Gotham tended to be New York at night. So I, I like that comment because, you know, I hear it all often. It used to be kind of the approach, but that would be really hard to do in an atlas. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's the same true. place. <laughs> That's true. But maybe it's like Danny the Street. Maybe it moves to different places in the day Ooh, and the night. Danny but, the Street. Now, there's something that's missing from the Atlas. Well, it was a little early for that. But yeah. I, I like his comment, though, about that being uh, New York night and day. That's clever. I like that. Now, also, I got to meet Kyle Benning not too long ago, too. Great guy. Then uh, we heard from Patrick Moe. He wrote, great podcast. I've never played an RPG outside of the game console slash computer type. That was up for debate if it, um, in the discussion. And I've grown uh, interested in it. And then there's some interesting discussion between him and Cisco just about the mechanics of how you can use Skype as a tool for role-playing. And it's uh, some interesting interesting stuff and great ideas for a way to put together a role-playing group. Yeah, go check it out, people. Uh, <laughs> Dale Russell wrote to us to say, this game was so much fun. I was a Marvel kid. The only DC books I collected were Firestorm and Blue Devil. I love this guy. Before the game, but after, I became more of a DC fan. So DC Heroes, the role-playing game, actually made him more of a DC fan. Objective achieved. There you go. <laughs> It works. Uh, Licensing works. There you go. Heard from Dave Walker, uh, my buddy from Who True Freaks over on the Two True Freaks Network. He said, listening to your DC role-playing game show while waiting for my lift home from work, decided to get a start on the next book in the series I'm reading. You then proceed to mention the author and book series. Love the Rogue Squadron books. That's right. That did come up because of Michael Stackpole, who uh, who was involved with Mayfair early on, and he went on to write those amazing X-Wing books for the uh, Star Wars saga, which was great. Which now are technically Legends books and never existed. <sighs> then I heard from my buddy Oscar Olelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelelel
<laughs> we should go watch the movie sometime. Uh, Do they have a lot of gargoyles, or is it like the... Um, the buildings you know, the- are just terrifying. Heard from our buddy Aaron Bias. He goes, dude, I want another Hero Points podcast. Might I suggest a Worlds at War source book? Yes, Aaron, you might suggest that. It's one of my favorite source books. We might cover it at some point, but it's a little bit longer of a read than I think I'm ready to commit to at this moment. But So that one comment, this was in a private message, by the way, on Facebook between me and, and Siskoid and, and Aaron, that then sparked a 90-minute Facebook back-and-forth private message thread between Aaron and Siskoid that apparently I was away from my phone or computer at the time, and I came back, and I'm like, I don't know what it was, like 127 unread messages? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so, thanks, guys. Thanks for blowing up my phone there. Heard from my buddy Luke Giaconetti from Earth's Destruction Directive. He says, awesome. Wish I could have had a chance to play this game sometime. Me too, buddy. I wish I wish uh, the opportunity to present itself to play it again for me. Right, and then we get uh, Professor Alan Middleton from the Relatively Geekly Podcast Network, uh, who says, I thoroughly enjoyed this Where's Where episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll cop to that. Um, yeah. By the way, since we recorded last, I've hung out with Alan as well. My buddy Michael Everett, who uh, he, this guy's Michael is a really devoted Mayfair DC Heroes guy. Like he actively is trying to collect every single piece of stuff that came out from Mayfair. It's r- really fascinating what he's collecting, including like the you know the newsletters they would mail out and stuff like that. Oh yeah. And, and Michael went on to say, "This is so cool, so awesome, and interesting. I cannot wait to listen to the whole thing in its entirety." He was just very excited about the existence of the Hero Points podcast. And Michael, sorry you had to wait for the, a year for the next one, but hopefully. Hopefully it was worth it. Then uh, I think our, our final comment here is from my buddy Michael Bailey, who from Views from the Long Box and from Crisis to Crisis and Tales of the JSA and about 1,500 other podcasts. You know, by the way, I should mention, we exchanged Christmas cards recently, and he, when he mailed me the Christmas card, he included, out of the kindness of his heart, a copy of the Legion of Superheroes Volume 1 um, uh, source book. So, oh. for first edition. This is awesome. I can't wait. Paul Levitz and Steve Crow. Woohoo! So Michael goes on to say, minor nitpick and later revision, Byrne had been gone from the books for nearly a year and a half by the time they reestablished the Fortress of Solitude in the post-crisis universe. Post-Zero Hour, I'm pretty sure the Fortress was relocated to the north because Martian Manhunter had a base in the South Pole. Very interesting, very valid point. That was followed up on by comment on Facebook where Paul Kupperberg himself says, we'll fix that in the second edition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paul. That's trolling at its best. Exactly. Well, folks, that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the Hero Points podcast. Um, Cisco, before we go, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can listen to more of you uh, within the next year before the next episode of the show comes up. Well, for sure, you can uh, find me at the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, uh, which has a WordPress page. That's at lonelyheartspodcast.wordpress.com. And, of course, two articles a day at the uh, at Siskoid's blog of geekery, siskoid.blogspot.com. Plenty of stuff. The Legion of Super Vloggers as well. If you type in Siskoid on Google, I am the only one. So that'll bring you to every damn project I'm doing. It's a bit of a rabbit hole, folks. Fair warning. Don't do it if yes. you're supposed to be finishing a big project. <laughs> yeah, take the blue pill. <laughs> you can find me at firestormfan.com. Uh, also, you can find me on the Firewater podcast on a variety of different shows. Soon you'll be able to hear me on the JLI uh, Ha podcast. And uh, I'm generally hanging around the uh, the Circle K on a Saturday night of the internets. So that's where you find me by choice. So, <laughs> All right, folks. Um, until next time, please tune into the Hero Points and send in your cards and letters and let us know what you think uh, of, of these adventures and any awesome DC Heroes role-playing stories. Until next time, let's roll. Let's roll.